Have you ever felt hopeless? It was December 17th, 1927, and the S-4 was a submarine running exercises off the coast of Massachusetts. She had a crew of 42 men that day. After making a submerged run, the S-4 came to the surface. However, as the S-4 surfaced, a nearby Coast Guard destroyer accidentally plowed into the S-4, causing immense damage and sending the submarine to the bottom of the sea. Immediately, of course, rescue efforts began, but due to bad weather and insufficient technology, all of these heroic rescue attempts were thwarted. And meanwhile, below the sea, 42 men were trapped in this submarine, being slowly buried alive. As they ran out of oxygen, men succumbed to death one by one until only six men remained alive. And the remaining men, they, they, they sealed themselves into an isolated compartment there in the submarine, waiting desperately for any sign of rescue or refuge. And finally, they heard some sounds. They, they heard the sound of divers walking around on top of the submarine. Well, the men inside the sub were ecstatic, so immediately they began banging on the walls as loud as they could. The divers outside were shocked to hear any signs of life, and so they went over to the source of the sound. They leaned down, and they put their ears up against the wall of the sub, and they heard tapping. It was Morse code. And the men inside tapped out that desperate question that had been plaguing their minds. Is there any hope? And the divers tapped back the answer, no. All six men perished. Have you ever felt hopeless? We're living in a world where a lot of the time hope seems to be in short supply. And maybe you're here this morning and you're anxious or hurried or distracted or busy or exhausted or cynical or depressed, or scared. Maybe you're here this morning and you're in need of hope. The people in our text today were in desperate need of hope. You see, the Jewish people in Israel, they'd been living under hundreds and hundreds of years of oppression. They'd been beat up by various empires. They were wrung out by heavy taxes. They were suffocated by the legalism of their religious leaders. They were desperate for somebody to rescue them, somebody to bring them hope. Thankfully, all throughout their scripture, our Old Testament, God had promised to send them that someone, someone who would bring peace and prosperity to Israel, someone who would restore their national and spiritual vitality. The Old Testament refers to this hope bringer by many different names. God said he would be the advocate, the anointed one, the commander, the cornerstone, the snake crusher, the suffering servant. He would be the light, the leader, the liberator. He would be the prince of peace, the prophet like Moses, the redeemer, the refuge. He would be the ruler of all the earth. He would be the good shepherd, the star, the stone. He would be the temple builder, the trailblazer, the teacher. He would be the wonderful counselor, the witness, the water of life, the son of God, the son of man, the son of David. He would be the messenger, the mediator, the man of sorrows, the mighty God, the Messiah. Yes, the Messiah promised all throughout Scripture, the Messiah, he would be the one who would bring them hope. But they'd been waiting for centuries, and still he hadn't come. Until one day, on a normal springtime afternoon in Jerusalem, a young couple walked into the temple carrying a baby. Not a big deal, happens all the time. You see, after a mother would have a baby, specifically a baby boy, she'd be quarantined with her baby for about 40 days, and then they'd go to a priest, and they'd have a little ceremony to reinstate the mother and make her ritually clean again. She'd offer a sacrifice of a lamb and a bird. And then if this was her firstborn child, and it was a boy, if it was a firstborn son, she'd have to go to the priest, and she'd have to redeem him. 
See, way, way back in the Old Testament, you might remember the 10 plagues and the last one, God killed the firstborn son of every family in Egypt and he set his people free. And then he told his people, he told the Jews, that from then on, every firstborn male, child or animal, belonged to him. So if you had a firstborn son, he would belong to God. He would be the property of the priesthood. Now, if you wanted to take him home, you know, like most people want to take their babies home, you could go buy him back from the priesthood. You'd pay five shekels, it's just five or 10 bucks, and you'd take your son home. You would literally redeem him. You would buy him back. So 40 days after Jesus is born in that manger scene we see at this time of year, Mary and Joseph go to the temple to redeem baby Jesus. They would redeem the redeemer. And they would offer sacrifices for Mary's purification. This is the scene that Luke sets for us in chapter two of his gospel. We're gonna pick up with him here in verses 22 through 26. It says, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, baby Jesus that is, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, I don't know if you caught that, but the normal sacrifice a mom would make was a lamb and a bird. But if you were too poor for that, then you offered two little birds instead, which is what Mary makes. That means that the mother of the lamb of God was too poor to afford a lamb for a sacrifice. Jesus grew up poor in poverty. And then Luke introduces us to our character this morning. He says, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. So he's righteous and devout. This guy, Simeon, he's well known for his honorable conduct toward other people and his deep relationship with God. It says about Simeon, says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus, they come to the temple and there's this random guy there, Simeon. And we don't know anything about Simeon. We don't know who he is. All we know is that he's this guy who believed in the prophecies of the Old Testament, predicting the Messiah's coming. And he had a deep relationship with God where he regularly listened to the Holy Spirit, as we all should. And the Holy Spirit told him, that he would not die until he had seen the Messiah, the promised deliverer. Your, your translation may say, until he had seen the Lord's Christ. That's what that word Christ means, by the way. Christ is just the Greek word for Messiah. So when we talk about how Jesus is the Christ, or we talk about Jesus Christ, it's not his last name, it's actually his title. So we're saying he is the Messiah, he is the promised deliverer of Israel. So God tells Simeon that Simeon's not gonna die until he's seen the Messiah. This is an incredible promise. Can you imagine the practical outworkings of this? Simeon's sitting at home one day. His wife says, Simeon, you're eating too much. You're gonna make yourself sick. You better stop. Oh, honey, Messiah's not here. I'm gonna be fine. <laughs> Simeon, you're an old man. You better be careful walking along the side of the cliff like that. You might fall. People don't survive that kind of a fall. Oh, it'll be all right. Messiah's not here. I'm not gonna die. I'm not saying that was his attitude, but you get it. This is an incredible promise. And so Simeon waited. Days turn into weeks, weeks turn into months, months turn into years, and still Simeon's waiting. But he hasn't given up hope yet. We don't know how old Simeon is in this text, but it appears that he's an old man and he's been carefully praying and watching and waiting for decades without giving up hope, and finally his day comes. Verse 27, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. 
When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. So the day that Simeon has been waiting for and hoping for is here, and he's excited. In fact, he's so excited that this elderly gentleman just kind of grabs the baby out of his mother's arms and starts dancing and singing around the temple. Can you imagine this scene? Can you say, pepper spray? (laughs) But you know, there's, there's something exciting about a baby, isn't there? Because a baby represents hope. It's this life that's fresh, without blemish, full of potential. It's fun to dream about what a little baby might become. Can I tell you, we're dreaming in our house right now. Rebecca and I found out we're expecting a new little baby. Yeah. There you go. Yep. Baby Proctor is going to show up in, uh, in June of 2019. This has nothing to do with the sermon. I just want to brag for a second. So... Uh, <laughs> But there's something about a baby that just brings hope, isn't there? And yet, let's be honest for a second. There are 130 million babies born around the world every single year. That's four every second. That's a lot of babies. And every one of them is fearfully and wonderfully made and loved by God. But let's be honest, most of them are going to grow up and live fairly ordinary lives. Now, not our baby. He's going to be far beyond just ordinary. But all those other normal people... (laughs) So let's ask the question. What's so special about this baby that it makes Simeon want to sing? Why are we still here celebrating and remembering some baby born 2,000 years ago to a teenage girl in the Middle East? What's the big deal? Well, in case you haven't heard, this was no ordinary baby. This, this baby, Jesus, he's God. This baby came from the heavenly throne to the lowly manger. He came from the crystal clear beauty of heaven to the filthy litter of livestock. He came from being surrounded by blazing angels and unimaginable splendor to being surrounded by some grubby shepherds who smelled like weak old sheep. He came from being totally self-sufficient, infinite God to being totally dependent, infant human. He came from being clothed in unapproachable light to being wrapped in strips of cloth. This is God. And God took all of his heavenly splendor and he cashed it all in, coming to earth to grow up in a quiet backwoods town in the home of a blue-collar worker. This is God we're talking about. Glorious, magnificent, awe-inspiring, fear-striking, law-giving, sea-parting, plague-bringing, flood-springing, all-seeing, all-knowing God. And now he has a zip code. And siblings, an occupation, a circle of friends, a favorite food, a face, a name. Jesus. You see, every baby brings hope for at least one life, but this was no ordinary baby. This baby was both God and man, and he brought hope for every life. I think that's why Simeon sang. Hope was the heartbeat of his song. And here's the hope he's saying about three things. The first thing is this. Jesus brings hope for the dying. As this old man's wrinkly face presses up against the soft, tender skin of this newborn, the first thing he says is, now, Lord, now I can die in peace. Verse 29, he says, sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. So because of Jesus' birth, Simeon is ready for death. 
Now that may sound strange in our world because uh, death comes as a shock to most of us. I heard a story about a married woman who decided to go on her own private vacation to Europe and she traveled to London and Paris and Rome and Vienna. And while she was on her trip, she called her husband back home. She said, hey honey, how, how are things going? I said, well dear, things are fine back here, but uh, your cat died. Well, she was obviously distraught. The wife was bawling her eyes out on the phone, but after she managed to regain her composure, well, she was pretty mad. She said, you insensitive, ignorant brute, how dare you tell me and announce such news like that? You must not care about my feelings at all. The husband said, well, what in the world? What was I supposed to say? The wife said, well, when I got to London and I called you, as I did, you could have said, your cat is on the roof. And, and then when I got to Paris and called you, you could have said, I'm sorry, honey, your cat fell off the roof. And then when I got to Rome and called you, you could have said, dear, your cat's not doing so well. And then when I got to Vienna and called you, you could have said, I'm sorry, honey, your cat died. <sighs> By the way, how's my mother? <laughs> Husband responded, well, she's on the roof. <laughs> Death comes as a shock to us. But you see, for the Christian, Jesus' birth brings the hope of life beyond death so we can be ready to die, just like Simeon was. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul writes to the church about the impact of Jesus' resurrection from the dead, and he says, death? It's been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's saying that because Jesus died and rose again, death is defeated. And for those who follow Jesus, we have the hope of life beyond death, which is why Paul can say in Philippians chapter one, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In other words, when you follow Jesus, life actually gets better for you when you die. Jesus brings hope for the dying. Earlier this week, um, my wife and my son flew back to Missouri to be with her family because a few days ago, we found out that my wife's grandmother was diagnosed with brain cancer. And they did some scans and found out that it's spreading and growing very rapidly. It's in her chest and her lungs now. And she's dying. It's a matter of time. And it came as a shock to us because she was in pretty decent health. But as soon as my wife found out the news, the first thing she said to me, the first thing Rebecca said was, this is so sad, but she's lived 90 good years and she's a Christian, so it's okay. Jesus brings hope for the dying. I went to college with a guy named Jensen. Jensen drove this beautiful candy apple red 65 Mustang. Uh, he had a million-dollar smile, played on the basketball team. Jensen loved Jesus. Uh, but during his freshman year, one day, a semi-truck came up behind Jensen, didn't see him until it was too late, and crushed that 65 Mustang like a pop can. And in an instant, my friend Jensen was gone, 19 years old. It seemed like the whole town turned out for the funeral a few days later. And if you want to see true hope. If you want to see true worship, I'll show you true hope and true worship when you watch Jensen's dad sit in the front row and raise his hands to heaven 10 feet away from his son's casket singing, you're a good, good father. 
How can he do that? Because Jesus brings hope for the dying. I hope you have that hope today. And if you don't have it, I hope you'll come talk to us because Jesus wants it for you. Jesus brings hope for the dying. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. Jesus brings hope for the distant. Simeon keeps on singing. Verses 30 through 32, he says, For my eyes have seen your salvation. That's what the name Jesus means, by the way. It means salvation. Which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. So Jesus brings hope for the distant. Jesus did come as the Messiah, the rescuer and the deliverer of Israel. But God's grace didn't just stay in Israel. It overflowed the borders of that little nation and it spread to the whole world. And that was the point all along. Isaiah chapter nine talks about what the Messiah was going to do, what his mission would be. And it says this, it's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I've kept. I'll also make you a light for the Gentiles. That's everybody who's not a Jew, that's us. That my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. In other words, the plan all along was for the Messiah to bring hope for everybody. It's not just an Old Testament thing either. The Bible talks all throughout about how God's heart is for everybody. First Timothy chapter two, Paul writes, this is good and pleases God our savior who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. My guess is you're probably familiar with John 3, 16, but do you know the verse right after that? John 3, 17, John 3, 16 and 17 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, 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 whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You see, the good news of Jesus' birth, life, death, resurrection, and return is way too good to keep to ourselves. We want everybody to know. We want our families to know. We want our coworkers to know. We want our neighborhoods to know. We want the most hardened, impossible, distant people we can think of to know. We want the whole world to know. That's why our church partners with, with missionaries and missions and ministries all over the world as our global impact partners. Well, one of those partners I'm really excited about is a project called Wellspring going on right now in a country on the other side of the world. And I can't tell you the name of that country for security reasons, but if I did, you would recognize it, and it would not carry a positive connotation in your mind. This is a country ruled by warlords and terrorists where the people live in constant danger and intense poverty. In this country, seven out of 10 people don't have access to clean drinking water. In this country, 20% of children die from waterborne illnesses. 30% of kids don't have access to schooling. 40% of people don't have access to resources besides humanitarian aid. And in this country, there are almost no Christians over 90% of the people in this country have never heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus. It's a country of 15 million people. And there's 200 Christians. It's like this little section right here. It's because it's one of the three most persecuted nations on the entire planet for believers. Our church heard about this earlier this year and we decided to do something about it. So we're partnering with a group called Team Expansion with this project called Wellspring to plant churches in that country. And Team Expansion, they're, they're gonna give them resources and they're gonna give them clean drinking water, but they're also gonna give them the living water because that's what they need most. Why? Because Jesus brings hope 
for the distant. Jesus came to reach the darkest country and the hardest heart and the most distant person in the most difficult circumstance. There is no nation or situation that Jesus cannot break into. So today, no matter who you are, no matter what you are going through, whatever distant person or place or problem you're thinking of, because Jesus came for the Christian, I believe this with all my heart, there is no such thing as hopeless. There's no such thing as hopeless. Jesus brings hope to the distant. Jesus brings hope to the dying. He brings hope to the distant. And after hearing Simeon say all of this about their kid, I bet Joseph and Mary are on cloud nine. They're probably celebrating like their kid just won the Heisman. They're they're dreaming about everything this little baby's gonna grow up and do. Verse 33 says, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. But then the tone shifts dramatically. And for the first time in the story of Jesus' birth, a shadow of darkness is cast over this bright little baby. Verses 34 and 35. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. So even here at Jesus' birth, we catch a foretaste of his death. This kid's not gonna win the most popular award at the middle school in Nazareth. And he's going to grow up and he's going to start his ministry and do incredible things, but people are going to hate him and they're going to reject him because Jesus came not just to reveal who God is, but also to reveal who we are and he would expose the darkness of our hearts and Jesus would live a life of pain and rejection and tragedy and ultimately he would be killed because we didn't want to hear what he had to say. And then Simeon speaks these painful words to Mary. Verse 35. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. Notice that Simeon says this only to Mary, not to Joseph. Because Mary is the one who will live to see this prophecy fulfilled. Mary was the only person to be at both Jesus' birth and his death. Mary would endure the shame of being called a liar. She claimed to be a virgin while she was clearly pregnant. And she would endure the hardship of a life of poverty. And she would endure the grief of losing her husband too early. And she would endure the immense heart sickness of watching this this baby boy that she loved, that she worked so hard to bring into the world, grow up and go live a life that she didn't understand and be hated and rejected for it. And then Mary would see the cross and she would see those hands, the hands of her baby boy, those hands so soft and tender that wrapped around her finger. She would see those hands pierced with a nail, shredded and bloody. And Mary would hear not only Jesus' first cry after he took his first sweet little breath upon entering this world on Christmas night. She would also hear his final cry of anguish as he took his last breath upon leaving this world that Friday afternoon on the cross. Mary would endure the pain that no parent should ever have to know, but that some of you know. The pain of burying a child. And Mary would endure not only the grief of losing her son, but of losing her hope. Because this child was supposed to be the hope of Israel. He was supposed to be the one that would save them. And when Mary watched her hope die on the cross, just like Simeon foretold, a sword would pierce her soul. The sword of a suffocated hope. 
When Jesus died, the gospels tell us that darkness came across the whole land. Maybe you feel like you're in the darkness today. Maybe you feel like your hope is dead. I don't know what kind of situation you're in today, whether it's financial burdens or problems at work or a prayer that seems to go unanswered or spiritual dryness or relational brokenness or a long-time sin struggle. Maybe you don't even know what it is, but you're tired and it feels dark and it seems like there's no hope. If that's you today, then I'm here to tell you that Jesus brings hope for the dying and hope for the, dis- uh, the distant and hope for the darkness. Because Jesus didn't stay dead. And the world didn't stay dark. And on that Sunday morning when the sun rose, the sun rose from the dead. And he is alive today and he will return. And because of that, for those who follow Jesus, there is no such thing as hopeless. Hope is the heartbeat of our song. On that night that Jesus was born, something happened. Something changed. Something shifted. Hope was born. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. So wherever you are today, whatever darkness you're facing, can I encourage you for a second? Don't face it alone. It's not how we were meant to live. Come talk to us. We want to help you. We want to walk this journey with you. Fill out a connection card. Shoot us an email. Find somebody in a green t-shirt. I'm going to be up here after the service. Come talk to us. Do whatever it takes because we want to walk with you in your journey to find hope in Jesus Christ because he is the light of the world and we believe that he can be the light in your darkness too. May 23rd, 1939. The USS Squalus was a submarine beginning a test dive just off the coast of the Atlantic. The naval submarine carried a crew of 59 that day. Immediately after submerging, water began to flood into the submarine from a hatch that had accidentally been left open. The 26 men in the rear of the submarine drowned quickly as the sub flooded with water and settled on the floor of the Atlantic. As with the S-4, however, on the Squalus, a few men remained alive. And so these 33 men, they sealed themselves into an isolated compartment there in the submarine and they played that horrifying waiting game. Have you ever felt hopeless? After launching rockets to the surface, a nearby naval boat noticed the predicament of the Squalus and immediately rescue efforts began. Ships circled and divers went down to the submarine. Upon hearing the tapping of the trapped men inside, the divers listened to the noises and again, it was Morse code and again came that desperate question, is there any hope? And the answer came, yes. Though it had never been used before, the divers brought down a brand new device that had been developed after the disaster of the sinking of the S-4. This new diving bell, it was slow, it was untested and risky, but after over 40 hours of making slow trips to the surface and back, all 33 survivors were rescued. Have you ever felt hopeless? I have good news for you. A savior has been born to us. And he is Christ the Lord. Will you pray with me? Father, you know us. You know the hurt in our hearts. You know where we're scared, where we're tired, where we're lonely, where we're hiding. You see us so completely. You see our darkness and our distance. And sometimes we even feel dead. But we praise you today 
because Christmas is this tangible reminder to us every year that you didn't leave us sunk down there on our own. You came after us. And Jesus, because of your life and your death and your resurrection, you've defeated anything that we're facing. And in this world, we will have trouble, but we can take heart because you have overcome the world. And we believe that because of the resurrection, there's no such thing as hopeless. So Father, we'll sing today. And hope is the heartbeat of our song. For those here in this room who are in need of hope, I pray that you would instill deep within us a holy confidence, not some kind of vague sentimentality or foundationless cheeriness, but a holy confidence in the truth of the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's because of that that we live with hope. Draw us close to you now, Father. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' powerful name that we pray. Amen.